So we are in Hebrews chapter three. Tonight, we're gonna look at verses 16 through, we're gonna go into chapter four and go to verse 11. We'll talk about the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword next week. We'll spend some time on that. But tonight, we're looking at this rest of God that Israel failed to enter into, but remains for you and I as believers to enter into. So the title of the message is No Rest for Israel. No Rest for Israel. So as I said, the writer, he's talking about this warning. And we talked about this warning last week. It was given to these Hebrew Christians and he began it in chapter three, verse seven. And the warning that we saw was on the danger of disbelief. It was the danger of hardening their heart against the word of God. And then he gave them really an amazing example. He says, hey guys, let's look back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers and see how that your fathers tried me and tested me throughout the whole wilderness wanderings. It began there as right after Israel left Egypt. There they came to the area of Massa, right? And, and there they tested the Lord because they didn't have any water. And they strove with the Lord. They came to it. And what did the Lord do? He provided water for them. And then they also contended with the Lord there again when they didn't have any food. They said, man, if we only would just die, you know, it would have been great. And the Lord said, man, these people are testing me. And what did the Lord do? He provided for them. And the Lord continued to show them his works. Finally, they made it to Kadesh Barnea, which is on the border of the promised land there. And God gave them the command, go and take the land. And as we see, Israel rebelled against that word. They didn't go in and take the land. They chose to remain outside the land. And as a result, God's judgment came. It was the danger of disbelief. And the writer takes that up and says, hey guys, beware lest any of you turn and have an evil heart of disbelief. Now we know to the Hebrews what their situation was. Many of them were thinking about turning their back on the Christian faith and denying that and going back to Judaism. There was persecutions going on. There was trials going on in their life. So they said, hey, you know what? We want some rest from this. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna set aside our Christian faith, go back to Judaism. Everything's gonna be great. In the words of John Corson, it would have been hunky-dory, right? Not, not too many times that word is used, but it's a good context to use it. You know, they thought everything would just have been great. They're gonna go back to Judaism. Their family's gonna love them. Everything's gonna be good. But the writer of Hebrews says, not so. Remember that wilderness generation. They turned their back on God and they received discipline. Now the writer continues on now and really gives the second part of this warning. He deals with the results of Israel's disbelief. Yes, they were disciplined, but there's something greater there. They missed out on God's rest. And so that's what the writer wants us to focus on now. As we focus on God's rest tonight, we'll learn three things. Number one, the first a first, the possibility of missing God's rest. Second, the principle of God's rest. And third, the exhortation to enter God's rest. So first, in chapter three, verse 16, we'll go to verse 19. We learn the possibility of missing out on God's rest. So now the writer is gonna talk about Israel's disobedience and their loss by giving a number of questions here. And it's really to teach us and kind of summarize, us, summarize for us what he said previously in, those, um, in chapter three. He says, for who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And so the generation of Jews who were led out of the wilderness by Moses, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, they rebelled against God and his word. As I said, this generation saw the works of God. 
they saw it. And uh, Psalm 95 says that. It says that my people saw my works, but they didn't know my ways. They saw God's works. They saw God's works in Egypt as he brought those 10 plagues against Pharaoh. And really they were against the gods of Egypt. Each one of those plagues, if you look them up, was against one of the gods that Egypt worshiped. God said, you want to see that I'm the Lord? Well, I'll show you this. And he really showed himself stronger than anything that Egypt can offer him. God delivered them from Egypt, but then as they were journeying to Sinai, God showed them that he was at work also. He gave them manna. He gave them water from the rock, right? The bitter waters. He threw the tree into it, Moses did, and the waters were, were healed and they were made sweet. All those things, God was working. While they were at Sinai, what happened? God was at work. The fire from the mountain, right? Moses came down, his face was glowing. He gave them the law. He spoke to them from the, from the mountain and Israel said, hey, man, Moses, you talk to God. We don't wanna do it because if we do, then we're gonna die. They saw those works. They saw it in Nadab and Abihu, right? They were slain because they tried to offer strange fire. So all these things were going on. And then what happened? Finally, God said, okay, we're done. Time to journey to the promised land. Time to journey to the border. And what they do, they did. But while they were on their way, they were attacked by some enemies. And what did God do? He gave them into their hands. They saw the work of God and how they overcame them, right? Og and, and, and those different guys. God gave them victory. So they saw God's works all this time. And finally, they came to the border of the promised land. And what did they do? They saw God's works, but they, they didn't know his ways. They didn't trust God. They didn't rely on God. And so, you know, the same thing can happen to us as believers, Maybe you know God's word. You know God's works. You see what God has done throughout the scripture and you say, oh yeah, I know that. I believe that. But when it comes down to it, do we actually trust God? Do we actually believe God and enter into the works and, and the, the peace that he has for us? This generation didn't. They heard the word of God. They saw the works of God, but they didn't respond. Rather, they rebelled against God. They turned their back on him. And, you know, and, and it shows us really the possibility of us doing the same thing. Just because we know the word, as I said, doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to experience all that God has for us. Doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to experience the rest that God has for us. We need to obey God. Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? So that entire period that Israel was in, out of Egypt is really the, the 40 years. So the 40 years really is counting from when Israel left Egypt to when they fell dead in the wilderness. So this includes that time that they journeyed from Egypt to Sinai and also that time that they journeyed in the wilderness. Yet because of Israel's rebellion, God was angry with that generation and he caused them to wander in the wilderness until that entire generation died out there. Notice it says that God was angry with that generation. The word angry can be translated grieved or vexed or to feel indignant. So God's anger is seen in his righteous judgment. You see, God didn't fly off the handle because he ran out of patience with them. You people, I'm tired of you. He didn't fly off the handle with them. No, God's long suffering. But God was just. And they tested God and God responded justly to their disobedience and he had to discipline them. It was a result of his righteousness. Now, once again, the fact that you and I are believers does not mean that we'll receive all the blessings that God has for us to enter his rest. Rebellion and sin in our life hinders 
us from walking with God and his blessings. They were God's chosen nation. God went to great lengths to deliver them from Egypt, but yet they missed out because of disobedience. And God's gone to great lengths to deliver us from the world, right? Sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Saved us of our sins. And many of you have testimonies of how God worked in your life. But if we will give ourselves over to sin and disobedience, we're not gonna receive all that God has for us. We see that in the children of Israel. We need to continue to press on and obey the Lord. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. And so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. God actually swore an oath out there in the wilderness. He swore an oath that that Jewish generation from the age of 20 and up would not enter the land and experience his rest in Canaan. Rather, they would all fall in the wilderness. So once again, the root cause of missing out was sin. Let's be more specific. The root cause was to not obey God. It gets more specific than that. To miss out was because of unbelief. That's what it is, unbelief. Unbelief you saw last week is not a lack of knowledge. It's not honest doubts. People can have honest doubts. But unbelief is actually an unwillingness, a total unwillingness to submit to God and his word. And that's what Israel did there at the promised land. They had a total unwillingness to submit to God and his word. Sadly, when you look at backsliding or failing to walk in God's blessings and failing to receive the rest that he has for us, when you look at it, really it comes down to unbelief and disobedience. Yes, God does have different plans for, for, different, in, you know, for, for different individuals and God wants to work in different ways in people's lives. But all believers all have the same privilege and opportunity of entering into God's blessings and God's rest. And if you and I don't enter into that rest, that blessing, it's not because God didn't say, well, because Jake's not spiritual enough because I didn't really have it for him, I have it for somebody else. No, if I miss out, it's because I fail to enter in. It's because I'm not obeying the Lord or I'm not entering into his rest. There's unbelief there. It's available to all. We must press into it. We must guard our hearts against sin and against the attacks of the enemy. The apostle Paul told us that this generation, these Israelites were actually an example for us. They're a picture book. I like picture books. I didn't read much as a kid. You know, often they would have book fairs and stuff at school. I was the kids who watch TV all day long, you know. So I would just get books. I would get picture books, you know, and look at them. So I, I have a love for picture books. Well, Paul says, hey, you know what, guys? This is a picture book for you in the Old Testament. God's gonna make it real simple for us. God said, look at this illustration. Now think about yourself in it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, five through 11, he says, but with whom of them, talking about Israel, God was not pleased, but their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them as is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. There it is. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Paul says, hey, all those things that happened there were all written for us 
at the end of the ages for you and I, that we can see these things and learn from them. They were our pictures and we need to respond. Now, before we move on into chapter four, I wanna draw your attention to an important word that the writer points out here. It's the word rest. Yes, they received discipline, but worse than that, they missed out on God's rest. Now, the word rest is an important word. This word is actually used some nine times in these two chapters. It's used eight times in chapter four. This really shows you what the focus of the writer is, right? And this word, not only that, is, is, is unique to this writer. You don't find this word really used anywhere outside of this book. And so it's unique to him. And so in order for us to find the meaning of this word, we need to look at what he says here in this passage. He's gonna explain it to us. He's gonna expand it to us. And he's gonna teach us and how to apply it. All right, and so uh, we need to enter into God's rest. And so we, we need to learn 10 of chapter four. We learn the principle of God's rest. The writer goes on and says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to come short of it. So there's that word therefore again. He's building everything on each other. All right, he's making this one large argument about, about what he's saying. Therefore, or in light of what he just said, we need to beware lest we miss out on this rest. It's possible, but we need to beware of this. We need to take heed to what he's saying and, and pay attention. Now, there's another thought here. It's the promise of rest that remains for you and I. Yes, it's possible that we can miss the rest, but the writer says, but make sure you know this, there is a rest. There is a rest that's possible for you to miss. He says, we need to fear lest we come short of it. I like this. You see, the fear of the believer, the fear of the Christian is not to worry about losing your salvation. All right? The believer doesn't have to go around learning, worried about going to hell all the time. That's not the worry of the believer. But the worry of the believer, really, the fear of the believer is to miss out on all God has for us. That's the thing that we need to fear, the writer says. That's the thing that we need to think about. This is what was Paul's fear. Paul said, he didn't fear persecution he didn't fear his suffering. He didn't fear his own death. But he feared disqualification. He feared not attaining to all that God has for his life. And that's what grace does to a person. People say, oh, they preach grace and it's gonna make them just wanna go out and sin. Well, no, not so. The more you know about God's grace, the more you want to receive all that God has for you because you know that God has so much more. And I don't wanna fail in any point of that. I wanna receive all that the Lord has for me. And that's what the writer says here. He said, hey, fear lest you come short of this rest. It's so good, you don't wanna miss out on it. For indeed, the gospel is preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Now, the word gospel here means good news. And it's obvious that the children of Israel in the Old Testament didn't hear the gospel of grace like we do today. All right, when they were at the border of the promised land, they weren't talking about Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross and rising again from the dead. No, but the word gospel means good news. And they heard that good news right there as they were on the border of the promised land. We're told there that Moses, Joshua, and Caleb encouraged the people to enter in and take the land. The 10 spies came back and said, guys, we're like grasshopper in the sights of these people in the land. They have walled cities, don't even think about it. But these guys came back and said, no, don't listen to them. God has given us the land. We need to go in and take it. He's given us victory. Who are they against us? We have God on our side. That was the good news that they were sharing. But Israel, 
didn't receive it. Why not being mixed with faith in those who heard it? In other words, what he's saying is this, is that when the nation as a whole heard that report, they didn't unite in faith around that word. They didn't unite in faith around that good news. Rather, they began doubting and they turned their back on the Lord. And the writer applies that to the believers here. He said, oh yeah, by the way, guys, you've also heard good news. And you also need to make sure that you're entering in by faith lest you miss out. What was that good news? Well, it's the good news that we've already seen so far in this book, right? The good news that Jesus is greater than anything that Judaism can offer. Jesus is greater than anything that this world can offer. The fact that he's our savior, the fact that he conquered death, the fact that he's gonna come back and rule and reign at a second coming on this earth. The fact that you and I can have victory over our enemies as we abide in him, we can have this rest. But there's an exhortation here. We need to make sure that we're hearing it by faith, that we trust in the Lord, that we respond to him. And so that, you know, that's what he's saying here to, to them and applying it to us. Verse three, for we who have uh, believed do not enter, or excuse me, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. And so just like Israel was faced with the decision to enter God's rest, which began in the past, even so you and I are faced with that same fact. We know this because David in Psalm 95, 11 said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so God finished his works in the beginning. And as we'll see, he's been talking more about that, talking about the seventh day when God finished his work, right? When he rested from his works. The writer said, yeah, God rested from his works in the past. But hey, by the way, guys, when the writer wrote in Psalm 95, there was still a rest available for them to enter into. There was a past rest that was present for them at that time that by faith they need to enter into. Even so, there is a principle of rest that was offered in the past, that was seen in the past, that is still present for you and I today, living today. Look at verse four. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Now, when you read the days of creation in Genesis chapter one, you see a pattern on the first six days, right? And it says, evening and morning the first day, evening and the morning the second day, evening and the morning the third day, evening and the morning the fourth day. And we see that pattern all the way until we get to the seventh day. Now, the evening and morning is a, is a symbol of the fact that it was a literal 24-hour day. That's what Moses was communicating. That's what God was saying through him. But when you get to the seventh day, you see something different. There is no evening and morning mentioned. And the reason is, is because it's talking about a principle that would be established there in the beginning. That this rest would have no end. It would continue on into the future. There was no evening and morning. There was no one day of this rest, but it was a principle that would continue to last. And the writer understood this here. He said, this, this, this rest continued on. Because in verse five, he says, here he says that, and in this place, they shall not enter my rest. And so there was this rest available to them when they came to the border of the promised land. It didn't stop there on the seventh day. Verse six 
Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, today after such a long time as it has been said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day. And so here's very simply what, what he's saying here in this passage. The principle of God's rest has not ceased from the seventh day. God established that principle in the beginning, but it didn't cease. It didn't end. We know this because Israel did not fulfill it when they came to the border of the promised land. It was there, available to them. Hey, go in and enter that rest of God's rest. They didn't enter it. And so that rest continues on, right? It wasn't fulfilled then. The next generation who came into the land under Joshua, they came into the land, but they didn't fulfill that rest. We know that because the writer says here in verse seven, David said today, after such a long time, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. David in Psalm 95 wrote, long after Israel had come into the land, and there was still that rest available to that Jewish generation when David was writing. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And then he says, oh, yeah, by the way, guys, Joshua and them, they didn't fill that rest. Verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So the principle has been established in the beginning. It wasn't fulfilled at Kadesh Barnea. It wasn't fulfilled when they came into the land. It wasn't fulfilled during the time of David when he wrote Psalm 95. And it remains even today for Christians. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. There's a rest available for the Hebrew Christians. There's a rest available for you and I as Christians today, living in the 21st century. The reason is, is because the rest of God would not be finally fulfilled until it was fulfilled in Christ who is our rest. You see, Israel had the Sabbath day, right? And Israel's Sabbath day was based upon God's rest on the seventh day. God established that. He said, man shall work for six days, and on the seventh day, man shall rest. And Israel had the Sabbath day, and it was really a symbol to mankind of that rest that man would be able to experience in Christ. Well, Paul says, hey, yeah, by the way, guys, Christ fulfilled that rest. He's the final fulfillment. Listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter two, verses 14 through 17. He says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So here it is. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are all shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So talking about the law, Christ fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the Sabbath day, those things that were written. He, those things were just a shadow, but Christ is the substance. So this rest of God, this picture that we see, this principle throughout the entire scriptures, all find their fulfillment in Christ. Verse 10 for he who has entered his rest, notice this, he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. 
So the question is, commentators write books on this, well, what is this rest that the writer's talking about? Well, since this word rest is found in this in passage, we need to interpret this word in light of the passage. And here's what it is. As God sees from his works, even so we cease from ours. The word rest is a sensation of works. Since God sees from his works, we also cease from ours. And so just as God rested and enjoyed the blessing of his finished work and creation, even so the believer can rest in Jesus and rejoice and enjoy the work that Christ has finished through the cross. God created all things and he rested on the seventh day and said, now behold, everything is very good. And he rested and he enjoyed the splendor of his creation, the works of his hands, right? And even so, you and I in Christ, we can rest and look back and, and rest in the joy and the work of God's hand through Christ on the cross. The fact that through God's grace, you and I have been forgiven. Our sins have been put, in as far as the, put as far as the east is from the west. The fact that he has disarmed all principalities and powers. The fact that our old man has been reckoned dead and now we have been given victory over our sin nature, right? These evil propensities. We can rest in those things. We can walk in victory in this Christian life. Now, God's rest doesn't mean that God stopped working altogether. We know that because Jesus, when he came on the scene, told the Pharisees and the folks, he says, hey, my father's been working until now and even I'm working. And so God's rest didn't mean that he just kind of gave up and let everything go. No, but God was still working in a certain way. But also we know that God's rest didn't mean that he would not respond. We know that he would because in chapter three, a man sinned, God responded. And so yes, as you and I, as we look back in victory and rest and rejoice in the work that Christ has done for us on the cross, that doesn't mean that we just let go but rather we continue to press forward in our Christian faith. That doesn't mean that trials and things aren't gonna come and cause us to respond to those things. But as we respond, we don't respond in fear, we respond in victory. And the readers would have took encouragement here. Think about that. They were searching for rest as they wanted to go back to Judaism. They wanted rest over their trials and over their troubles and over their persecutions. And the writer says, "Uh uh-uh. God's not gonna deliver you from it. God's gonna take you through it. He's gonna have you rest in his victory through the cross and then he's gonna help you rise above it as you walk by faith in the victory that he's already given you. It's the faith rest life. That's what he wants to offer to all believers. And so we see the warning, beware, there's a possibility that you might not enter it. But then we see the principle, it's there for you and I. And finally we see the exhortation in verse 11 we see that we need to enter it. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Based on everything that we just saw from Israel's disobedience, the blessed rest life is offered to all believers, and we need to be diligent to enter that. The word diligent means to labor with prompt and earnest speed. To labor with prompt and earnest speed. And when we hear it, we need to respond to it. Wow, God has a rest for me. I'm gonna enter into that and receive all that God has for me. Let's hear the word of the Lord tonight and respond quickly. Let's learn from Israel's 
disobedience and let's press forward in the rest. Amen.